Welcome to Keeping Afloat, Episode 6. I'm Kabir and I work on a cruise ship as a cruise director. I've got the unique opportunity to see the world and experience some pretty unique things. And now, through this podcast, you get to come with me. This is the story of my life at sea and just trying to keep afloat. Now remember to check out my real-life up-to-date Instagram at cruisedirectorkabir and www.cruisedirectorkabir.com. Just a quick disclaimer, the views expressed in this show are mine and not that of any brand that I'm associated with. The names of the characters in this story have been changed from their original ones and certain storylines may have been modified. Finally, it is about time to set sail from Brest and relocate to the Canary Islands. Now, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it here. Being in France and spending this much time in a real place in France, nowhere that's affected by tourism, was absolutely amazing. However, it's rainy, it's getting cold, and a bit of warm weather would be welcome about this point. Uh, And a few days ago, actually, we moved from the dry dock into a wet dock. Now, what that is, is basically a pier that's right next to the dry dock, but it's still part of the shipyard. So there's still work that is being done. Now, we've gotten rid of all the bubble wrap around the ship because most of our work is done. And you'll be happy to know that almost all of the plants survived. However, I realized that uh, they were all fake. So minor detail. But anyway... Now, the dry dock overall was very, very productive. Uh, We had a ton of technical work done. And for me, this is my first time with this particular cruise line. And what that means is I've had to learn all sorts of stuff just from how the entertainment product works, the different shows, offerings, and policies and procedures. So it's been super productive for the last month learning all of that. And not just that. Now... I have a few days to get into work mode because my department get back on board as soon as we arrive into Tenerife. Now going to all of these amazing places from Singapore to Sydney to Amsterdam is amazing. It, it really does rock. And when I first started this journey, I never factored in the ports. All I thought about was the cruise product, the structure of the entertainment, the ships. That was really it. Now, the fact that I could end up in Europe was definitely a bonus. And growing up, I'd been fortunate enough to travel to some of these amazing places. And now throughout my career, I've actually been able to revisit a lot of those spots, places that I went to years ago with my family. In fact, I remember one of those places was Mykonos, Greece. That one has to be one of my favorites. Uh, And then I got to explore Santorini and then the Baltic, like Estonia, Stockholm, Denmark, These are all places that I end up seeing because of my time at sea. And at the point that we're at in the story, the pace on board is about to increase exponentially. At this point on my first contract, it had been over two months since I'd left home. Now that was the longest that I'd ever been away from home or my family. And at this point, that was becoming the hardest part of my job, being away. Now my family is really close. There's always something going on with one of my family members, whether it's a wedding or an anniversary or some sort of celebration because somebody got a new job. We're always getting together. Now I was in touch with my family as often as I could be. And about a month earlier, my mom had said that she wanted to come and visit me. 
Now at this point, I had no clue how to get her on board. Nobody'd ever explained that process to me. And as a crew member, I learned that if you have your own room, you can sign somebody aboard at a very reduced rate, usually a daily fee. But this comes with its own issues. For example, in my case, I only had a single bed. So signing on one person could be done, but it wouldn't really be the most comfortable. However, nobody really explained this to me in depth, so my mom just decided to buy a ticket. And not only that, she invited my grandfather to come and sail as well. Now they booked the final Caribbean cruise the ship had before it left for Europe. And the day finally came. There I was, standing at the gangway, waiting for my mom to walk up. I was nervous and basically just trying to keep my emotions in check. It was a mix of excited and tearful. And then she turned the corner and just like that, there she was. I went up to her and gave her the biggest hug I'd ever given her. And yes, it was a little bit messy, like tears streaming down my face and she was just as emotional. Her line was, darling, this wasn't even that long, but remember, you're at work, pull yourself together. <laughs> my grandfather was right behind her and I gave him the biggest hug too. Him and I were close. My grandfather worked at a factory on the grounds of Toronto Pearson International Airport, building wings for the MD-80. Being the airplane geek that I was, we talked about airplanes so much when I was growing up and having them both there was surreal. It was like two worlds colliding. My mom and my nanaji, which is basically Punjabi for grandfather, were staying in a balcony cabin on deck 11. It was right around where all of the spa cabins were, which basically have exclusive access to various spa amenities. Now, in order for me to get into their room, a guest cabin, I had to ask permission from the hotel director. And the reason for that was that crew were not usually allowed in guest cabins under any circumstance. It all goes back to the whole no fraternizing with guests rule. And the only time that this was acceptable was if you were doing a job-related duty. For example, if you were a cabin steward or a plumber. Now, even if you were a cabin steward, you'd have to keep the door open if you were speaking to a guest that was inside the cabin. Now, look, I think it did make sense. And the way that guests really can't say that anything happened and the crew member was always visible. Now, in my case, the hotel director approved my request. My mom and Nanaji were also cruising in spa class, which meant that they got to eat in a really special restaurant. It was focused on healthy eating and stuff. Now, usually nobody, not even officers, got to dine in there. But the hotel director, a Turkish gentleman named Ayaz, was super nice about it and let me join them, which was just really rare and really kind. Both Nanaji and Mom came to as many of my activities as they could, following me around. We got off the ship together, we went to the beach, we had affogados in the coffee shop, which is one of my mom's favorite desserts. It's basically vanilla ice cream covered in espresso. Now there's nothing like having a parent with you, because even though they've got nothing to do with work or being on the ship and working there, it just feels so good that they're there. It's like I was protected. There's nothing wrong, and there's always somebody looking out for you. Now at this point, I was really lucky because Gajal had become a lot like my ship family. She was my closest confidant. Now one evening, we even managed to grab dinner together. And it was amazing to have my ship family and my home family sitting together.
This Caribbean season was beautiful, but it was also repetitive. No, I loved it, don't get me wrong. The weather was amazing, but the ports all rolled into one. And I think part of it was that I'd spent so much time cruising the Caribbean as a kid that by this point, I had been to so many ports so many times. Now, having a change of routine was definitely welcome, and I think the whole ship was ready for it. I'd also never done a transatlantic before. Now, on board, everybody called it the crossing, as though it was this thing that everybody had to endure. Now, Mario had been preparing for this for weeks now, and one afternoon during that final cruise in the Caribbean, he called us into the office for a team meeting. I always knew it meant business when he said to close the office door. Mario gave us the cold, hard facts. The guests were going to be much older than our usual clientele, and not only that, many of them had cruised with our line a lot, and it meant that expectations would be sky high. We had to cater to that older demographic by offering bridge, mahjong, and make the shows at earlier times. Another interesting thing was that the library, remember the beautiful one that faces into the atrium, needed to be tidied up and stocked with brand new books. And it fell, of course, to us, the activities team, to do it. Now, I was used to tidying the library regularly, but this transatlantic would mean daily checks. And after the meeting was over, Mario, interestingly, asked me to stay behind. He leaned forward on his desk and said, I have some amazing news. You're going to be stepping up to activity manager on the first cruise in the Baltic, right after the transatlantic. It turned out that Dale would be going to another ship for 14 days when we arrived in Amsterdam. As a result, Mario would be cruise director for the first time, and I would be his activity manager. Now, this was huge. I'd finally have my shot. And not only that, I would be the youngest activity manager in the company's history. And of course, Mario just seemed unbelievably excited to be able to take the reins. But there was one minor detail. None of us had ever done a transatlantic or season in the Baltic before. The guests were older, the expectations would be a lot higher, and we were all going into this season completely blind. One evening, I was leaving the theater with my mom and Nana G, and I happened to pass by Dale, who was stood at one of the doors. He looked at me, kind of acknowledged me, and then shot me this look and walked over toward me. He said, Kabir, I was hoping to run into you because I have a proposition that I think you might benefit from. Now my ears perked up because I wasn't used to Dale saying anything like that, or let alone saying anything to me in general. He pulled me aside and asked me to host the cook-off on the main stage. Now on our ship, this was a branded activity and was usually a spin-off of one of those TV cooking shows. Generally, the cruise director hosted these, so for him to come to me as a host was really unique. It also just made me think why he didn't ask Mario, but anyway, this was a branded event, I had my work cut out for me, and it would be a fantastic opportunity. It'd be the first time that I'd be on stage in the main theater. Now, the ship's theater was massive, over a thousand seats, spanning three decks high. Whenever I would go in there, I'd just imagine looking up and seeing the aerialists swinging around, the cast singing and dancing on stage, and the cruise director there to finish the show. And this was a massive stage, almost spanning the entire width of the ship. Of course, there was no script for this show, and these sorts of things are to be expected. So I managed to find a DVD of Dale hosting the show, 
and I wrote down every single thing that he did and said. Then I sat there and memorized it as best as I could. This would be the chance that I had to prove that I was able to control everything happening on that stage, and everybody would be watching. The day finally came to having to say goodbye to mom and Nanachi. It was a quick visit for them, but it was exactly what I needed. Knowing that families on board just makes everything seem easier. But then when they have to go, it's like my worlds were splitting apart. Now my mom and I are super close. We've always been. Actually, my whole family is super close. This was the first time that I knew I was headed away for so long. My ship was scheduled to set sail for Amsterdam at 4 o'clock p.m. that day. So I hugged my mom, I hugged Nanaji, I knew I wouldn't see them again for five months, and yeah, I was a little bit teary as I put them in the cab and watched it go. But part of me was also really excited. That day was busy. It turned out that a friend of mine from high school worked for another cruise line, and they were docked in Miami, which was about a 30-minute drive away. So I told her I'd grab a taxi and meet up with her. This was the final time that I'd be able to do it anyway because the ship would be leaving. The drive down was a breeze. The actual lunch was amazing and it was really cool to compare notes. Now again, I'd like to point out, I went to high school with my friend in Toronto. Then the next time we meet, three years after graduation, we're in Miami working on different cruise ships. It made me so grateful to know that our lives were equally full of adventure. We caught up and before I knew it, I had to get going. It was two o'clock when I left Miami and I had to be back on board at 3.30. Now it is daunting knowing that your entire house is going to be sailing away and straight into the Atlantic. And if I was to miss that ship, I'd have to basically fly to Lisbon in a week. Now I got in my Uber and we got onto the highway and it was slow. Now, when I say slow, I mean it was 3 o'clock and I could still see my friend's ship. My heart was thudding. Now, somehow this Uber driver works some magic and probably broke a few traffic laws. And we found an open lane and some sort of bypass. I literally ran out of the car when we got to the terminal, which, by the way, was deserted because all the guests were already checked in. This terminal in Fort Lauderdale was massive as well. It had tons of twists and turns, and I swiped onto the ship at 3.29 p.m. The feeling of relief was like nothing else, but I had to roll with the punches now. The guest emergency drill began in 15 minutes, and then I had to run straight up to the sail away party, because this was the last time that we'd be sailing from Fort Lauderdale. The demographics on this cruise were clearly a lot older. Usually, we averaged about 55 to 60 years old. This cruise was closer to 80. Now, I could tell because in the guest emergency drill, there wasn't enough scooter parking in the theater. And there was a point when it kind of looked like a zombie apocalypse as everybody tried to get to their scooters at the end of the drill. I didn't mean that to be offensive, but it was slightly entertaining. Now, my friends were in the party band, the Grooves, who were playing the Sail Away Party. Mario really wanted us to go up there and try and lead some party dances, which didn't really go the way that he had planned. The guests just weren't interested in doing dances. They just wanted to see the Sail Away and get ready for dinner. 
As I looked over the ledge, straight down to the pier that was 12 decks below me, I saw the azipods gently start pushing us off the pier. The ship's horn, or whistle in nautical terms, sounded, and I still get chills every time I hear it. To me, this was as close to magic as I could imagine. That same day, Allure of the Seas was scheduled to set sail for Spain, so we'd have a view of each other for most of the crossing. She sailed before us, and she just cleared the channel. But then, not even a minute later, I saw the ship lean over, which is very odd and never good. Then I saw the bow come around, and she did a hard turn to starboard, which is to the right. Now, it looked like she was coming straight back in, and by this point, we were only meters off the pier. And then our public address system went off, which was odd. And Dale didn't have to make an announcement till much later, so I knew it wasn't him. They announced the code for a medical emergency. Apparently, a guest was already extremely ill. Now, I learned later on that Allure of the Seas had a medical emergency as well, and we ended up leaving two hours later in tandem with them. I guess we had plenty of time to make up for the delay. It was, after all, six days to Lisbon. Our regular routine was thrown out the window, and that first morning I had to do a ship walk. Basically, just walk through our areas and make sure that the right things were in the right places. For example, cards had to be in the cards room, the library was organized, and let me just say, I personally organized the library. Now, that was before we sailed. Right after we sailed, it was empty which meant that by the end of the cruise, it would result in a ton of cleaning up. But that was still two weeks away. Then there was a group of people that really wanted to play this game called Mahjong, an interesting game that I couldn't understand, nor could very many other people on the ship, except for a handful of people. Now, the kits that we had didn't have the right pieces, and between Mario, Miguel, and I, we hadn't a clue which pieces were missing. So Mario actually saved the day with that one. Turns out that we had 30 brand new Mahjong sets in the storage room on deck zero. So we just went with that. Now then, there was the bridge player's room. On the first day, we had so many requests for guests to play bridge together that a section of the dining room was dedicated to playing bridge. And every day, I'd have to go in there and get accosted because there wasn't a bridge host on this cruise as there traditionally was. Now, to each their own, this was all a learning experience for me. Miguel and Mario resisted the older demographic a lot. And in turn, I had my own issues, but I realized that we needed to get them on our side. They had their preferences just like I had mine. And just because they're different didn't mean that they were wrong. In the end, they wanted someone to listen to, so that's exactly what I did. For hours each day, I would sit and chat to people. I met ex-American Airlines 747 captains to CEOs of multi-million dollar companies. I even met this farmer who was selling his farm because on a whim he just decided to retire and buy a condo instead. I learned so much, and I tried to impart that on Miguel as well. Now, in turn, that actually helped his confidence as a host, because on that transatlantic cruise, Miguel hosted every single evening game show, mostly because I forced him to. Now, he finally got over his fear, and I wanted him to be comfortable with that because I'd eventually be his manager on the following voyage. Miguel had seen me also host the cook-off, which was a huge success that cruise. And when I told Angie, she was extremely proud. 
it was really nice to know that I hosted the same event that she would host, just on a different ship. Now throughout the crossing, the weather was amazing, which was weird because I imagined transatlantics to be rough. This was almost serene, like at one point the Atlantic Ocean was flat. Like I mean flat, you could see the ship's reflection clearly. Now once we got close to the Azores, it was incredibly beautiful. In fact, I'm gonna post a picture on my Facebook page and you can tell me what you think. Before I had started this contract, or rather, this lifestyle at sea, I was in a committed relationship which lasted just over three years. Now when that ended, I was heartbroken, and the way that it ended really wasn't fun. That breakup was something that I really struggled with, and someone that I met on board said to me, people on ships are always running away from something, that's why they're there. I couldn't disagree more. People on ships are living their lives to the fullest in so many ways, and it's weird and daring to be on this tin can in the ocean. What I learned was that life on a ship was amplified. For example, if you were to date somebody for a week, that's like the equivalent of dating someone for a month on land. And the reason for it was because of proximity and timing. You're always in close proximity with the person that you're dating. And then you've also got a ton of time to spend together because what else are you gonna do other than work and hang out? As I said, I was pretty torn up about my relationship ending. It had been about six months at this point and I felt like I had so many feelings that were unresolved. So one night, while we were in the middle of the Atlantic, I started to write. I wrote all my feelings out and I wrote a letter to my ex. I wrote for over three hours and I turned out seven double-sided pages. And a couple of cruises before, a guest had given me this costume jewelry version of the heart of the ocean from Titanic. I didn't know what came over me, but I went up to the top deck, right to the back. I folded up the paper and I put the necklace inside of the papers. And then I tossed them into the Atlantic Ocean. And I did it so that I could physically let go of some of that stress. And I'll tell you, right after I did that, I felt so much better. Like my thoughts had been put out into the world and I said what I needed to say, but I didn't need to say it to anybody in particular, just the universe. Also, it was super dramatic and I loved that I did it. Mind you, I'm pretty sure it was an environmental violation. Since I'd be taking over as activity manager the following voyage, Mario thought it would be a great idea to use me and for me to input our plans into the office computer system. So he sat with me for a little bit and eventually left me to my own devices. It was really weird to sit at his desk. It was weird to be in the office on my own and I had my work cut out for me. Basically, I had to copy our plans from the cruise layout and input the data into the venue management system. It was a painstaking task but necessary in order to avoid clashes. Like two events happening at the same time or even just happening one right after the other without having enough setup time. Now I started at about 10 p.m. after the game show and by the time I had finished putting every single event in, it was just past three o'clock a.m. Now this was the night before we were set to arrive in Lisbon. So the ship was supposed to arrive about eight o'clock or so 
So I thought maybe if I go up to the top lounge, I'd be able to see some twinkling lights or something. And there it was. Europe, Portugal, Lisbon was right outside the window. This amazing ship that I started out in the Caribbean with was now in one of my favorite places in the world. I was up and awake by 8 o'clock a.m. My eyes totally bloodshot from not getting enough sleep. Mario, Miguel, and Dale said that they were going to get off the ship around 9 o'clock, so I decided it would be a good idea to head off the ship with them. Then in the shuttle bus, I just found the conversations were a bit forced and I was too excited to follow anybody else's agenda, so I went for a wander. First things first, I needed to find a SIM card. I went to a shop and mimed to this very Portuguese sales clerk that I wanted a card, and eventually I did get it. Minor issue, all the setup instructions were in Portuguese. But it worked out well, and suddenly I was connected to the real world again at 4G speeds. Now after that, I stumbled across this tourism place that had all these small cars lined up in front of it. I think they were called a Twizy, this little electric car, which I had heard about because I have an electric car at home, which I'd not driven in months, so I was pretty keen to get behind the wheel. Before I knew it, I was driving this car on an interactive tour of Lisbon. I'm going to make sure to post the pictures to my Facebook page. But basically, the GPS system had this pre-programmed route that would take me to the highlights of Lisbon and tell me about each and every one of the stops. That was surreal. Driving a car in Lisbon on this beautiful blue sunny day. And in that moment, all the stress that I'd felt over the last two and a half months was completely and utterly worth it. Two weeks flew by. We docked in a few more ports after Lisbon, and then we had two days at sea before we were due to arrive in Amsterdam. Now around 5.30 on the final morning, I heard the bow thrusters turn on. Every time that happened, that meant that the ship was maneuvering. So I went up to the promenade to see what we were doing. Now I walked through the door, and standing about eight feet from me on land was a cow chewing on grass. Now we were at the exact same eye level, and it turned out the ship was in a lock. That way we could be level with the river that would take us into Amsterdam. But just how weird, this man-made ship next to a cow. Absolutely bizarre. That morning, I was just itching to get off the ship, but I needed to help out with the guest disembarkation process first. Now, this was the longest cruise I'd ever done at this point. So two weeks with the same people. And by the end, I think the guests were really ready to get off. I remember during disembarkation, this gentleman came up to me and said, Son, do you know where I get the transfer to the Moven Pick Hotel? Now, I didn't have an answer, nor did most of the Shore Excursions team when I asked them. Later that day, when I went to get off the ship, I looked up at the cruise terminal, which was also attached to a hotel. Now, it turned out right at the top of it, it said Moven Pick Hotel. It is literally in the cruise terminal. Now, I really hope the gentleman did find his hotel eventually. You just couldn't miss it. Anyway, there I was in Amsterdam, a place that, I'll be honest, I never thought I would visit. 
and now I was here to explore for as long as I'd like. Well, I mean, until the ship sailed. Amsterdam is full of canals. And I didn't know that when I first went there because I didn't do very much research. But there are also no railings around the canals, so you can easily just walk into the water if you really wanted to. This city was incredible, and that's the thing with Europe. You can be in a different country every single day, each with its own culture, language, and currency. And my time with Europe was just getting started. Thank you so much for checking out episode six of Keeping Afloat. This epic European journey was about to get even cooler. I was headed to Estonia, Russia, Finland, Sweden, and so many more amazing places. Plus, I learned a lot about how important it was to listen to people. In the end, everybody wants to be heard and to have attention. And that's what I did a ton of this cruise, listening and it helped me grow and prepare for what was about to come next, my first cruise as activity manager. Plus, my dad tells me that he's booking a cruise on my ship to come and see me. That and so much more on our next episode. Make sure to check out my Facebook page to see the pictures that I talked about in the show. Until next time, it's all about keeping afloat. Talk to you soon. <laughs>